Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. I'm glad to be here. Uh, thankful to your campus ministers for trusting me enough to invite me to to speak to y'all uh, tonight. Chase, let me know y'all were working through union with Christ. And I tried to find a passage to, you know, frame up some thoughts that might be helpful in terms of navigating the bigger issues. But before I jump into um, my what I want to talk about uh, from the book of Colossians, I think there's something that's really important that I would want to say to y'all, and it's this. In order to engage the most difficult issues of our day, you don't need less Christian faith. You actually need it in a truer, deeper, and richer fashion. And I think that the spirit of the age would have you believe that you need to, you need to move on from that, that outdated Christian thing and you need to get some of the more you know, contemporary, newer resources in order to deal with this. And that's not to downplay the importance of common grace or what we can get from different disciplines like sociology or the sciences or philosophy or political science or whatever. But I think it's really important for you to know that the Christian faith, rightly understood, addresses the most pertinent issues in your life. It really does. And in order to understand, in order to get the right kind of lens on the Christian faith, we need to get outside of our insular, uh, short-sighted American vantage point. And so what, what I would encourage you to do in terms of growing and understanding the impact of Christian faith on a lot of these issues is you need to, to gain a hearing from the global and historic church. And so the, the, failures, the failures of the American church right now for, is, is weighty and as real as many of those failures are is not the summation of the church. God will always have a faithful witness represented around the globe and through time. And we might be going through a sifting season right now in American Christianity. I think we are. Um, But that I don't want you all to feel like, man, I don't know if there's anything really here for me in terms of the issues that are most relevant to my life or the struggles that feel most real to me. Um, I want to encourage you that there is a legacy of faithful Christians who have mined the Christian faith, the hope of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures, our moral and ethical framework in order to address the most pressing issues of any particular age. And so I think that's important uh, for you to hear up front. And, and that's one of the reasons why we turn to the scriptures with regularity to hear from the Lord in terms of how we can gain wisdom or direction for living the lives we have to live in the times that we have to live in with the struggles that we have to face. So that is an opening um, <clears throat> framework or just series of ideas that I, I really think are important for college students to hear. With that in mind, um, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter Three, Colossians chapter three. Um, it's in the New Testament. For those of you who are joining us who are new to the Bible or new to the Christian faith, we are so glad you're 
with us. There's no other place we'd rather you be, right, y'all? Snaps, snaps. Um, <clears throat> but the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. And I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get rolling, all right? And, and I want to encourage you. To, if, if you have a Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible, you can pull up uh, this, this verse on, on the internet. I want you to, if you can, follow along with me as we work through this text, because I think this, this text gives us some real resources in terms of how we navigate um, the, the issues of our day, particularly racial issues, socioeconomic issues, issues of polarity and estrangement in relationships, I think this gives a moral vision, an ethical vision for the people of God. So I'm going to read this passage and then uh, we'll get rocking. All right. This is God's word. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to gather under your word, that we get to gather together as friends, as a family, as a community, and we get to hear from you. And we ask that you would give us what we need now in order to live faithful lives in this world, in order to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask that you would um, give us understanding by your spirit's help. And I ask, Lord, that you would uh, allow these friends to feel like they're walking away with rich, eternal resources that equip them to live before you in love. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Mm. All right. So as you heard, I live in Washington, D.C., right? And down the street from my house on my way to work, uh, I, I drive past Providence Hospital every day. And every time I drive past my house, I observe all of these people standing outside. Um, but out of all the people that I'm observing when I'm driving past this hospital, there is a group of people that stands out. And it's the people with the white coats. And you know as well as I do that those people with the white coats are doctors. And what's interesting is that we can identify their vocation by what they are wearing. And in fact, I once read an article in the Washington Post that made the case that clothing for doctors is more than just a matter of personal style. It's actually an emblem of their specialty. It's, a, it's an emblem of their training. It's a symbol of their culture. That white coat indicates that the person wearing it is driven by an oath, the Hippocratic Oath. And that oath reminds them that their vocation is not just about dealing with fevers and fractures and cancers. Their vocation is about dealing with people, living human beings. And in a similar way, God's vision for his church is that we would be a people that stands out not because of our gifts or our talents, but because of the virtues that we are wearing. The church is to show its vision of life in Christ as much as it states it or talks about it. God's vision for the church is that our neighbors would see a connection between the, a calling into the kingdom and a particular moral and ethical life that results from that calling. These virtues are to be an emblem of our training in the grace of God. The, these virtues are to be an emblem of our kingdom sensibilities. They, they're to be uh, a sign that we're a people driven by an oath, God's promise that reminds us that our calling is not just about community events and church attendance and ministry initiatives. Our calling is about dealing with real people and a real God. And so tonight, I, I, want, I want to take you a little further in your exploration of union with Christ. And, and we're going to do this by working through this passage from the Apostle Paul. And in this text, Paul unpacks God's vision for our community life through a very accessible imagery. If you notice in the passage... Paul approaches this moral and ethical life, uh, these virtues that are to shape our life together. He talks about this by using the imagery of clothing. He talks about a putting on, a taking off and a, and a putting on of clothing. And, and I, I want to I talk about this passage and approach it through two points. We're going to talk about our uniform and our unity, our uniform and our unity. I think that's what we see in this passage. So, so let's look at our first point. We're going to take a look at our uniform. All right. Now, if you're new to the Bible, or if you're not familiar with the book of Colossians, it's fire from beginning to end. It really is. And Paul comes out of the gate with a powerful word on the preeminence of Christ. He's above all. 
And then he tells the Colossians that the entire goal of his ministry is to present every person mature in Christ. And then he combats some type of popular false teaching at the time by telling the Colossians of their freedom in Christ. Then he tells the Colossians that God has triumphed over our enemies in Christ and that they have died with Christ and have now been raised with Christ. In fact, their lives are hidden with Christ and they will one day appear in glory with Christ. Paul says that the entirety of the Christian life, the essence of the Christian life, the heart of the Christian life, the pinnacle of the Christian life, it's all about union with Christ. That's it. So what I think that frames up in terms of our expectations is that we're going to gain something in terms of understanding, uh, in terms of the relationship between our union with Christ and our life together, our life in this world. The apostle is driving this rich theology down to the street level because this is what shapes the kind of revolutionary community that overturns the status quo oppression and division and racial injustice and loneliness that plagues our world and our particular American culture. Like I said at the beginning, we don't need less of Christianity or less of Jesus. We need so much more. This is what we need in order to live into the fullness of what our hearts really are longing for as a community. God's redemptive work in the world climaxed at the cross. But what's really important for us to understand is that it, it, it is to continue through God's community. Uh, and that's all of us who profess faith in Christ. God's redemptive work climaxes in Christ, but it continues through the church. That's God's way. That's God's vision for who we are and how we're to operate together. And Paul tells us that our life together requires a particular ethical uniform, all right? I'm using uniform, and, and it's it's trying to work with this imagery of clothing that we see in this passage. And in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, he says this, he says, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, he says, you are the Easter people. You are the resurrection community. You have been raised together with Christ. Now you have to change clothes. Now it's time for you to change clothes. And if you look at verses eight through nine, take a look. This is what he says we have to take off. So think about the imagery of clothing, right? It's like you're wearing some, you know, I'm going to throw it back. It's like, it's like you're wearing some bell bottoms or some stonewashed jeans, which used to be in style back in the 80s when, when some of us were growing up. You are out of style. You're outdated. What you're wearing, how you're operating is outmoded. You got to change clothes. That's essentially what Paul is saying. And look at what he says they got to take off, verses eight through nine. He says, you must take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He says, do not lie to one another because you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, I wasn't planning to say this, but it occurs to me right now and it strikes me and I feel like it's important to say when it comes to issues of race, when it comes to these heightened, tense issues that make us afraid, that make us, make us anxious, that make us like, I don't know if I want to have that conversation. I think that one of the things that's important for us to recognize is that this vice list right here, 
a, a lot of the fear and a lot of the apprehension in terms of these conversations is really captured in this vice list. If you look at it, the anger, right? Like our anger overtakes us. It, it like for black and brown and Asian folks, like when you, when you time after time, it's like the drip of water. It's like, it, it, it's just like this, there comes a straw that breaks a camel's back. And then you're like, that's it. I had enough. And, and, and you can be consumed by rage. Like after it happened so many times, that's something that we have to battle with as people of color. But also you notice it says, do not lie to one another, right? And there is a great impulse in our cultural moment right now. There's a great delusion. And that delusion is that there can be years and years and years and years of unjust treatment of people of color. But, you know, we can just move on and we can just, you know, we don't have to dig to like, don't bring up old stuff. You know, you keep bringing that up and it's just making the problems get worse. And it's like, no, no, no. Ignoring it is what makes the problems get worse. So it's also telling us don't lie to one another. Don't conceal the truth from one another. We have to have these hard conversations because as Pastor Chase was saying earlier, if there's any place where we ought to be able to have these honest and frank conversations, where we ought to be able to say, I'm exhausted. I'm tired of having these conversations. There ought to be, this is the place where we ought to be able to have this conversation. And people of color ought to be like, well, you know what? I know you're tired of having a conversation, but I'm tired of living the reality. So the sooner we actually work through this, the better off we'll all be. If we can actually get into the heart of this, deal with it, and we can see repentance and repair take place, right? So I think this is just, I just want to give you a little taste of how relevant and important and meaningful uh, this is to our life together, right? There's a, there's a putting off that needs to take place. Because Paul is essentially saying, when you become a participant in the resurrection life of Jesus through faith, when you've been united to him, you come under the requirements of a new dress code, right? That's essentially the metaphor he's using. And in verses 12 through 14, he gives us that kingdom dress code. Now, he told us what we got to put off, right? And, and we can see all the different ways in which uh, this takes shape, right? Like putting off the anger, you know, taking off the wrath, the malice, the slander, right? Like the slander is an important one, especially in the social media age, because we tend to demonize people that we don't agree with. And we, if we can successfully label them with a crazy label, then we don't have to wrestle with the substance of what they say. And that is something that's a part of the playbook in American history. Any people who have tried to actually deal with racial justice have been labeled and then casually disregarded or often killed. Right. Like that's those are the hard facts of history. Right. Um, but there's a putting off. But now the question is, what are we putting on? Like, well, like what are the virtues that Paul says we have to put on? That comes in verses 12 through 14. He gives us the kingdom dress code in these verses. He says in these verses, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony now look at those look at those virtues for a second right and i want you to think about the 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 current issues that we're facing Put on 
compassionate hearts, right? Now, what does it sound like to you? Like, how does this sound to you? Like, how does this shape how you hear the 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 longings, the 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 heart wrenching sorrow, the despair that many people of color are facing? Like, when everything was happening over the summer and stuff was boiling over, like, what's your first impulse? Is it compassion? Like, that's the moral and ethical clothing of the of the body of Christ. That's what Paul says. Look next, kindness, humility, right? Now, the humility, you know, humility is one of those virtues that everyone likes the idea of it, but nobody wants to be humble when it comes down to it, right? Like, but think about the way that humility plays. You know what humility sounds like? Man, maybe I've been wrong all these years. Maybe there are things that I have not seen. I mean, I know I go to college and I go to a good college, but man, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Maybe I don't pick up on things. Maybe that, man, maybe that what they're saying is right. Like that, that, in that self-reflection, that, that, that sense of like, I, I'm, I'm not overly confident in my own knowledge base or skill sets, especially if my friend group does not reflect uh, the diversity of, of viewpoints that are represented in, in these conversations, humility, humility plays in a lot of ways, right? But uh, meekness and patience bearing with one another. Oh man, like this is a hard one, especially for people of color, because the burden is always there, always having to, you know, carry the, the, every instance that happens, it's almost like a, a re-traumatization depending on what your own personal experiences have been like. Um, I would, I would liken it to something like this. You know, I have a, I have a, a dear, a person who's dear to me and they lost their father in a car accident. And every time I'm on the road with this person and we see a, a, a an accident on the side of the road, they experience it very differently than I do. It's visceral. It's something that like, oh, it, 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 it brings up a lot more for them because of the trauma of their past that they've experienced. That's what happens with a lot of these racialized incidents or these, these episodes that unfold in American culture or in news media for people of color. It's like an instantaneous reminder. Like, you know, I'll tell you personally, like every time I see someone get pulled over or I get pulled over, I get a flashback of the 12 times I got pulled over in high school and never got a ticket. I just got pulled over. You tell me why, right? Because I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, right? Like that's that's why, like some of y'all like Pennsylvania. You know, there's Pittsburgh and then there's Philadelphia. And in between that is Pennsylvania or Tennessee or, or Kentucky, right? Like it's like country, it's not sophisticated. It's like, it's like a colony of Alabama is what it's like. <laughs> it feels like that's where I grew up. But in that context, there weren't a lot of black folk. We, I was one of the few. And that stuff triggers for me all of these memories and these anxieties. And I'm like, man, I got to project like I'm safe. And how you doing, officer? Are you having a good day? Like, I got to project and make sure I come across like I'm safe, right? But that's the way I experienced that. And there are many other different kinds of things that other people of color experience based upon their own story or their own ethnic heritage or their own experiences of, of the racialization of our culture. And so um, 
when we experience those things and then we're asked to help other folks to, to gain understanding on things, it can be exhausting. And, you know, sometimes we can just be like, you know what, I can't, I can't do this right now. I can't do this with you. But the scriptures are calling us to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, right? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You see, this is not the message that we're getting from the world, right? The world is like Scarface, right? Like, I, I bury these cockroaches, right? Like, this, this, is, this, is, this is the way that the world, you know, comes at this whole thing. And it's like, if you mess up, if you say the wrong thing, you're done. Like, that's it. It's one shot. But that's not the way that Jesus does us, right? If Jesus did us like we want to do other people, where would we be? And that's the difference that Jesus makes in these conversations. That's that that's that gives us a different ground for persevering in love, for serving and blessing other people, for the way that we dialogue with folks to seek their flourishing as they seek our flourishing, that mutuality, right? Um, and so uh I'll this picture, right? So let's come back to the the the, the um, controlling metaphor, right? The put the taking off, the putting off, and the putting on. And I want you to think about it like this. I, I think about this. Could you imagine showing up for a tour of the White House in your sweatpants, in your pajamas? I mean, could you imagine that? I don't know. Y'all out in California, maybe y'all can. I don't know. <laughs> But it's like, it's like, think about how embarrassing it would be. Like, have you ever been to some event where you were like underdressed and you didn't realize like, oh, I'm not, I'm not living into the dress code. Like you've like, your skin feels hot. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel embarrassed. Right. What if you were privileged to be appointed as a presidential aide? It would be unthinkable for you to show up in some dirty jeans and a stained t-shirt every day. Right. It, it would be the impossible possibility. Like you can do it, but like, how could you, right? This is essentially what Paul is getting at in terms of the, the, the vices that we take off and the virtues that we put on. It, our union with Christ should make it unthinkable to put on the old moral vices because God has called us his beloved and has sent us out to love and to serve. We need to put on the virtues that are needed to live into this calling. Now, I want you to think for a minute. You, you, heard, you heard about these, these virtues. You, you see that in this text, right? I want you to imagine what it would be like to live in that kind of community. Imagine that. Imagine being part of a community where everyone aligned with this dress code. It would be beautiful. It would be powerful. It, it would be compelling. It, it would be countercultural. It would be a countercultural community that resulted in the building up of the church and a compelling corporate witness. And here's one of the things that I, I feel like Christians always need to hear. We got to hear it. We got to hear it. We got to hear it. It's not just for us. What God is trying to do in us, what God is doing through us, what God is doing for us is always for the life of the world. It's always for the benefit of our neighbors across lines of cultural difference, across socioeconomic difference, across geographic boundaries, neighborhood boundaries, train tracks, if you will. That's what God is always doing. From the very beginning of God's story, what does he do? He says to Abraham, I'm going to hook you up, bro. 
I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a big family. And I'm going to bless you so that you can ball out. No, that's not what the text says. He says, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to all the nations. You're going to be the father of many nations. From the very beginning of God's story, it was always about the spreading of God's love, the the spreading of God's kingdom through his people to every different group of people, to every different walk of life. And what you see is God's people repeatedly failing to live into that vision. That's the story of scripture. That's what happens time and time again. But his call, God does not have a plan B. Plan B is C plan A. And plan A is that God would bless his people to be a blessing to the to all the people around us. It's it's meant to be a blessing to our neighbors. All of the ways that we put off the vices and put on the virtues. It is for our life together, but our life together is for the life of the world. This is a very countercultural vision that Paul has given us here, right? In the community that this would form, if you can imagine it, it would be unspeakably beautiful. It'd be the kind of thing that people want to be a part of. It would be that, it would be like the, the, the proverbial cup of cold water on a steaming hot day. It would be the relief that people were looking for. It would be the connection that they were longing for. It would be countercultural, but also it would be cross-cultural. Look at verse 11, y'all. I find it very significant that sandwiched between putting off the vices of the old moral clothing and putting on the virtues of the new moral clothing, in between those, sandwiched in between those, we find a bold statement of the cross-cultural vision that God has for his community. Notice what he says. He says, here. Do you see that in the text? He says, here. It may not be true out there, It may not be true on campus. It may not be true in local businesses and institutions, but here in the family of God, here in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all from him and through him and to him are all things. It doesn't matter if you're a PhD or a GED, whether you're in the boardroom or the courtroom, whether you clap on the one and three or the two and four, whether you're on Wall Street or Main Street, whether it's the the, the, the Cosby's or the Brady's, right? Like it doesn't matter. This is Christ is all and he's in all. That is a remarkable statement, y'all. He's in all. He's the distinction that matters most. He is in all. Think about that. He is present with the poorest saint. He is imminent with the immigrant saint. He dwells with the despairing saint. He makes his home with the homeless saint. He shares an address with the oppressed saint. He is a roommate for the inmate. He is the habitat for the new humanity. Here, don't don't miss that. He's saying there is to be a marked difference in the community of Jesus in terms of our life together. He's after what you could call a doxological diversity. 
Now, it's no surprise to you, you've heard it a billion times on campus, that diversity is a big, you know, big virtue in our culture, right? It's all about diversity, right? We want diversity of viewpoints, all this kind of stuff, right? Like, and oftentimes what you have is diversity for diversity's sake, but you need to understand something. There is a distinction between a Christian vision of diversity and a broader cultural vision of diversity. And that that distinction has everything to do with doxology. Doxology is, is a word that means glorifying God. And when we talk about diversity in the church, diversity is, is meant to be doxological, meaning the reason why we pursue diversity is for the glory of God. And it is the glory of God seeing who he is, the God who is unity and diversity in himself, the God who is three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. It is his glory that compels us to go out. And when we go out, we bring him glory. That's It's in that way that diversity is different in the church. There's a different account. There's a different ground in terms of the way that we pursue diversity in the church. It's doxological. That's what the, the apostle describing. But if we're honest, y'all, we know that we are often found wearing the tattered rags of self-righteousness and pride, aren't we? We're often found clothed in the stained garments of malice and anger. But in the light of the new day that has dawned in the resurrection, these styles are literally outmoded. They're outdated. They will never come back in the style in God's kingdom. There ain't going to be no retro here, right? But here's, here's the thing as I wrap up this first point, okay? You might hear all this and you're like, Right on. That sounds good. Uh, but you might feel like, how in the world? Like the best illustration I can put it when you talk about taking off the old clothes, the vices and putting on the new clothes, the virtues. I think that a lot of Christians experience it like like I experience my kids at bedtime, because when I tell them to go get ready for bed and I'm like finishing up helping my wife, Vanessa, with the dishes or or watching her while she does the dishes and keeping her company. Um, no, I'm, so I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm a servant. I'll be in there. You see my hands are wrinkled right now. Um, now, when when I tell them to go up and get ready for bed, I, I usually come after them about three minutes later, and my three-year-old and my six-year-old, I, I come into the room, and my daughter is like, all twisted up in her shirt. She's like, I can't get my shirt off. Like, like she, she's trying to get it off, but she can't, she's trying to change clothes. She, she's trying to get her bed clothes on, but she just can't get out of these clothes. And then inevitably when she's trying to put on her, her new clothes, she got her head in the arm sleeve and you know, she's all jacked up. She's like, a lot of times that's what it feels like to try and get out of the vices and get into the virtues. So the question is, how do we actually change clothes? How do we make that shift out of the vices into the virtues? That's going to bring us to our second point where we see our unity. All right. So we talked about our uniform and now we're going to head to talk about our unity. But I think it's something really important when it comes to talking about unity in this current moment that we're in. I want to give you a brief kind of just... A, a nugget, right? This is just take this nugget. I, this is, has to be said because, you know, unity can be misconstrued and it can be, um, it can be used in an, in a very bad way. Okay. Here's my brief word. These virtues that are described are prerequisites for our unity. 
okay? The virtues described in verses 12 through 14 are prerequisites for, for real Christian unity. If someone names the name of Christ, but they refuse to put on this new moral clothing, and yet they want to demand that you live in unity with them, then what you will have is an evil unity, okay? People often use the idea of unity in order to avoid repentance and repair, especially on issues of racial injustice. This is distinctly not what Paul has in mind. If someone, if someone declares, we just need unity, but that unity is merely a cover for continued unrepentant sin, or it silences inconvenient parts of scripture, or it's comfortable dividing word and deed, grace and truth, gospel and ethics, then it's not really unity that you get, it's complicity if you link up with them. You become an accomplice to evil in that unity if you do not name it and call them to repentance and 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 plead with them to turn their hearts to the Lord and to live in line with the resurrection life of union with Christ. All right, that was my caveat on unity. I have a lot more I could say about that, but I just want to say that because I don't want anyone mistaking me for saying, oh, he, you know, he, we're supposed to be living in unity. So let's just ignore all the stuff that's happened or that's going on and let's just be together. Let's just be in unity. But that's not, that's not what I'm saying, y'all. I just need to say that. All right. So after hearing about this list of virtues that we're to put on, you might naturally ask the question, how in the world can we live into this grand calling? How are we to put on this moral and ethical beauty? Or is it just about trying harder? Is, is it just about getting a little bit more disciplined? Is, is that the way that you become the virtuous person? Look at the text again. Look at the text with the right lens and you can see that this passage is actually a description of the life and ministry of God's chosen one, the Holy One, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. If our hearts are to become compassionate, to put on that virtue, it will come in our wonder at Christ's compassionate heart for us. You will never become a compassionate person until you really sense deep down in your soul God's compassion toward you. If we are to put on kindness, it will come in our astonishment as his, at his kindness toward us. Think about it. Jesus touched the untouchable, and he loved the unlovable, and he forgave the unforgivable, and welcomed the undesirable. And to this very day, he saves those who are otherwise unsavable by his loving kindness. It's in getting that into your soul that you grow up in kindness. If we're to put on humility, it will come in our communion with the one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, for our transgressions. If we're to put on meekness, it will come as we learn from the meek and lowly Jesus. And how could we ever become patient except by our amazement at God's patience with us in all of our sin, through all of our rebellion, and even in the face of our idolatry? How could we bear with one another unless we had the blessed assurance that Christ knows us and yet still bears with us in our waywardness and in our selfishness? The fact of the matter is that 
Jesus has had and continues to have every reason to complain against us. He condescended to us. He lived among us. He suffered like us, died for us. And yet he was despised and rejected by us. And after returning to sit at the father's right hand, Jesus could have turned and said to the father, look at their selfish hearts. Father, look at their arrogant pride. Look at how they lust for power. Look at how they abuse one another. Look at how they slander each other. Look at how calloused and unresponsive they are to the, to the cries and the concerns of other people. Can you believe that my precious blood was shed for these fools? That's what Jesus could have said. He could rightly say all these things and more, but the word of God tells us that instead he sits at the right hand of the father pleading the merits of his blood. He doesn't complain against us. He intercedes for us as our great high priest. And he shouts down the accuser in our defense. That's what gets through to your heart and changes you. That's what gets down deep into your soul and resonates with you and makes you into a new kind of person. That's what, that's what enables you to put on the new virtues. We can forgive because he has forgiven us according to the riches of his grace. And above all, the chief grace of love to which he has called us is the very grace that he's given us in full measure. God has poured out his love on us in such abundance that we should be giving it away like we're made of the stuff, right? Like that that's the kind of people we should be. Organizations and institutions and governments can throw all of the money and programs that they want at our social issues, and it will have some effect. But the deepest need of all people is the kind of loving community that is portrayed in this passage. Deep down, that's, that's what people's hearts are really longing for most. And the problem is that we want to see the kind of transformation that Jesus brought to people without showing the kind of love that Jesus showed to people. That's a, that's a problem. That's a breakdown, right? This passage leaves no room for passivity or indifference when it comes to neighbor love, because it not only shows us what Christ did to save us, it also teaches us what he, what he does to change us. Do you see it? In the gospel, Jesus throws open the closet of grace to show us a new, beautiful wardrobe. And this closet is filled with the glorious hand-me-downs of Christ. Jesus wore them first. He wore these virtues first for our redemption. You realize that if Jesus lacked any of these virtues in his earthly life, we would be eternally lost. But he was faithful and righteous and virtuous from sunup to sundown, from his first breath to his last. And he put on those virtues for our redemption. And now guess what? We put on those virtues in our response to his great redemption to his wondrous love. This is, this is what we're looking at. Let me close by saying this. In our church, uh, I, I, I heard about uh, this little, you know, community thing that the, that the women of our church uh, do every once in a while. They do a clothing swap, right? Uh, essentially, each of the ladies in our church, they get to a point where they look at their clothes and they say, I'm tired of wearing these clothes. And so they bring their clothes 
to this exchange and they all get together and they have a good time together and each of them gives away their clothes and they receive the clothes of someone else in exchange for their clothes. They swap with one another. And then they take those clothes that didn't belong to them and they give away the clothes that they're tired of, right? And and, and I I think what I want to ask you is this, are you tired of wearing the old, old moral clothes, the old vices? that wind up putting you at loggerheads with people and it wind up, you know, disturbing your, your sense of assurance and your peace and your well-being and your flourishing? Are you tired of the old clothes? Paul is telling us that there is a clothing swap available in Christ. If we wear this new uniform, Paul is saying, we will experience a new unity. This new moral vision is what binds the resurrection community together. We have all been loved in Christ so that we can love all in Jesus' name. And as as a practice, this is is what I want to say, and I'm closing. What is virtue? What, What does it look like to form a virtuous life? Think about it like this. Virtue develops when you make a thousand small decisions to do the good, to serve others, to defend the marginalized, to do justice, to repair what is broken, to speak hard truths that must be heard, to choose humility, to choose self-denial. It's a thousand small decisions rather than one big heroic act, okay? And if you make the thousand small decisions every day, if you wake up and you ask the question, not what do I have to do today, but who must I become today because I have been loved so profoundly in the gospel. If you wake up every day and you ask that being question, the doing will sort out. And if you decide in the small moments to make the choice to turn your heart to the Lord and do what's right before him and before your neighbors, then when the big moments come up, it it will be second nature. This, I'm paraphrasing a, a, a framework of a New Testament scholar who also does some work in ethics. It's not original to me, but I found that very helpful. Thousand small decisions. Let's make it our prayer that others will know our vocation by what we are wearing in terms of the virtues. And by God's grace, let us put on the uniform that leads to unity. And let us pray that God will help us, his children, to put on these clothes. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray. Uh, that you would help us not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We pray for your spirit's work through the scriptures to transform our hearts so that we can live the life that glorifies you in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.